Phil, that was uh, Purusha Hickson. Uh, how did you first uh, connect with him? Um, Dina Merriam, one of our uh, interview guests, uh, told me about him. So we've never met, but um, his life and his connection to the coal trains and his work just uh, sounded very interesting to me. And I thought uh, he would add something to our uh, our list of luminaries. Yeah, yeah I, I thought he was fabulous, and I think his work is great, what he's doing. And, uh, you know, like you, I'm a big fan of jazz and anything associated with uh, uh, John Coltrane. And uh, I, I really didn't know that much. I know more now about Alice Coltrane. But yeah. It's a fascinating story. But it, it also shows, you know, for people listening out there, especially younger people or whatever, how, how your life can change dramatically from one event. He goes out to California, he's San Francisco. He's got $50 to his name. He gets a free vegetarian meal. And the next <laughs> thing, he's listening to uh, uh, the Hare Krishna mantra being sung, which is very powerful. I mean, I've, I've heard the Hare Krishna folks many times do it. And then all of a sudden, a new world opens up to him. He realizes the life that he knew, everything he knew uh, was um, something but not the entirety, that there were other avenues of experience and, and, and a greater depth of life than he had ever imagined, and then his life yeah. completely takes a new direction. You know, and in, in certain ways, it was it's archetypal of the 60s and 70s, right. when, when there was all this uh, experimentation and things like uh, gurus and chanting and meditation were new, and uh, I'm guessing, um, you know, he said it was a Krishna chant that he heard, but given that it was Alice Coltrane, I'm guessing it sounded very different from what you would hear uh, at a Hare Krishna uh, event or something because she, she had that avant-garde uh, orientation to her own music and, you know, played with her husband who was, you know, this genius of groundbreaking sounds. Mm -hmm. No, I, I'm sure it, it had a particular flavor to it that was different and unique, but <clears throat> I don't know if there's an old saying, but there should be one. Uh, the Hare Krishna mantra, no matter how it's sung, has uh, has the effect. So, uh, and obviously had, yeah. a, had an effect on, on Furucha. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the, the other thing that uh, I, I thought, you know, what he said and the lesson he learned about, you know, and he spent time in India, uh, where uh, helping hands are more powerful or more profound or more important than uh, praying lips. And, and I think yeah, this, is, this is the what East has brought to West. I mean, your book, uh, American Veda, gets into this, that the, the, it being experiential, it being more than just some abstract concept of heaven and hell and, and prayer, and, but it's actually uh, how it translates into doing and working in the world. And I, and I should say, in the Judeo-Christian Judeo tradition, there has always been that, you know, oh, uh, yeah. going out and helping and whatnot. Uh, but, oh, yeah. But, but he really, uh, I think, brought it, uh, he is amongst those who brought it to a deeper level of meaning and understanding. Yeah, he attributed that to uh, Satya Sai Baba, who, um, from what I know of uh, Alice Coltrane or Swamini, um, she she began uh, her yoga her yogic uh, path 
as a devotee of Swami Satyadananda in New York, and um, somehow also or later uh, became a disciple of Satyasai Baba, who never came here, but many, many Americans and Europeans went to his ashram in South India. Right. And um, at some point along the way, became a Swami herself mm-hmm. and devoted her life to it and had that ashram. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And, and if my memory serves me well, uh, you, Phil, once uh, attended a yoga asana class taught by Swami Satchidananda. Is that Satchidananda, right? yeah. It was before I knew who he was. <laughs> it was like I was just a kid in New York who heard about yoga and went to a class, and it turned out year, a couple of years later I realized it had been Swami Satchidananda. Yeah, a, a, but, a guru who had an enormous impact and yeah. whose uh, organization <clears throat> still carries on its work. And a matter of fact, we had a, a guest on recently who was a disciple mm-hmm. of Swami Satchidananda and still very active. Yeah, she. Uh, for people listening, uh, they should look for the interview with uh, Dr. Sandra McClanahan, who was a physician and uh, knew Satchidananda, you know, back in the day, and is still a devotee and has done great research on yoga. Mm-hmm. So uh, this uh, organization of African American uh, uh, yoga teachers uh, is uh, seems to be. Uh, gaining momentum, we, we, we had Reverend Tillman on. He is involved in a similar organization. And we had Russell Simmons on, who's made uh, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of inroads in, in the African-American community. And we should say, when, uh, you know, and also along those lines, in, in urban areas and, and as schools. So I, I think this is very important. And I think, look, we, we still have lots of problems in our urban areas and in, a lot, in the the public schools, and, uh, and, and, and I think that this is uh, something that uh, has to be uh, incredibly helpful for creating yeah. a better culture, better, better, better environment. So it's good to know sure. there are folks working at that. And, and when Absolutely. you look at, at the website or what we have posted up on our podcast, you'll see that there will be ways if somebody wants to actually get involved and, and help the, those causes those activities. Yeah. Hey, Phil, I wanted to ask, ask you... Uh, Wait, I want, I want to say ahead. something about yeah. that, because especially in light of our recent election, um, it's fascinating because um, there are many underserved populations when it comes to things like yoga and meditation. Right. And, and the uh, communities of color, of, of course, one of them. Um, but in a certain way, um, there's more being done uh, bringing these teachings into African American communities than in, say, rural areas, and you know the small towns of America, uh, because um, it's it's it, people in cities will have more access, or the teachers who want to go to those communities can more easily do it because they live at, at least in the same city. Whereas the you know the the harder to reach populations are not only harder to to have access to, but they they may even be more resistant because they tend to be uh, you know less open to uh, foreign things like yoga. Right. I, I think initially, as I remember back in the from the seventies and eighties and whatnot, uh, there were certain fundamentalist Christian groups 
that seemed uh, immediately opposed to uh, meditation, yoga, anything like that. I think there's less. I I think, but I think it's less. It's a little softer. And interestingly enough, uh, there was a court case in Encinitas, California, just last year, where uh, they were challenging. Some group was challenging uh, yoga being taught as part of physical education in the public schools, and it went to court, and the yoga people won. Uh, They allowed it to remain in school, which I think is wonderful because. Look, any religious tradition can benefit from yoga. It doesn't, you know, it can be practiced in many different ways, but the mindset of those practicing it can be geared toward a particular religion or it could be totally secular. The bottom line is it makes people feel better and it makes them healthier. Well, you're wrong, Dennis. It's it's the devil's work. (laughs) There you go. I I knew. Thank you for correcting me. I I drift off on these... uh, <laughs> you know, ideological uh, clouds once in a yeah, while. Yeah, no, so, I, I agree. And and there are many, you know, there's resistance to anything new, anything that seems foreign. There are always going to be pockets of that. But in the end, uh, you know, Americans respond to something that works. And yoga works, meditation works, and uh, the world is a better place for people having access right, to right. it. Right, right. And... and- Many religious groups like, uh, 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 you know, uh, Father Thomas Keating and Richard Rohr have incorporated it into their uh, religious mm-hmm. traditions and beliefs. And, and, and I also want to say congratulations to Bobby Roth, who we had on the show, who's head of the uh, foundation set up by filmmaker David Lynch and, and, and others like that that uh, have mm-hmm. really uh, made every effort to go into areas that were underserved in regard to spiritual teachings and uh, and and make those available and and get funding for them and but both in the U.S. and and, and overseas because you know right. again the message that we like, brought us into meditation Phil back in the day that the world's ready to go off uh, off the cliff and we have to look for some <laughs> inner development. Well, that message is still very important today. Obviously, it's still still uh, urgent. Right, and if you can't and cure it on the outside, change the the uh, the shift of consciousness that we all hoped would happen back in the 60s and 70s is still underway, right. making its way throughout the world in a slower way than we hoped, but it's moving inexorably. What, what we, can, we can only hope. And again, if you can't figure out a way to help the world uh, extern- in an external level, uh, correct yourself, improve yourself internally, and, okay. and uh, the external should get better. Till next time. Next time, talk to you soon.